We've all heard it somewhere. It's usually our mothers. But then as we grow up, we just go, Sunday school teacher, where's that verse? Where cleanliness is next to godliness, because my mom really wants me to clean my room. And then you find out it's not there. Can you trust anything your mother says, right? Well, it was a Hungarian doctor, and now because you know I butcher names, you're not going to believe this. But uh, a guy named Ignaz Semmelweis, he was uh, 1865, is when he passed. He was the first man in history to associate not washing with the resulting infection and death. So he washed with a chlorine solution before examining expectant mothers. And after 11 years of practice, his death rate was only one in 50. But in spite of his success, he spent his life arguing in vain with his colleagues. Although he lectured widely and uh, proselytized and proclaimed, virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for centuries without washing, and no outspoken doctor was going to change them now. So he actually died insane at the age 47, and with his colleagues still laughing at him. Interesting, huh? The doctors who denied the connection between their unwashed hands and infections of their patients needed a microscope to see the bacteria that caused the infection probably know where I'm going with this. It's interesting because how clear it is for us to go, like, how did these doctors not figure it out? This is so gross. But how about in our spiritual lives? How many of us, our plan has not been working out? We've been looking at the mirror, making all sorts of excuses, and yet it takes us for so long to figure out that this is not working. We need a cleansing, and it doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from a really good hookup. It doesn't come from a self-help book. Sinners need to be cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So we're going to be looking at a, a portion of Scripture this morning. In fact, last week we started uh, into three um, miracles that Jesus pulls off, and these are the three that are kind of nature miracles where he actually goes into nature and he does something that kind of blows people's minds. So we're into the second one today. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12, we'll be reading from the New Living Translation and then from the message. But Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12, we meet a guy who is lonely and totally set apart because he is struggling with leprosy. So Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and he begged to be healed. Lord, he says, if you're willing, you can heal me and, and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. When Jesus instructed, then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone, like, good luck with that, even though this is Jesus. But then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been cleansed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. 
But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Just for a different slant, let's see what the message says. One day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, If you want to, you can cleanse me. And Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I do want to be clean. Then and there his skin was smooth, the leprosy gone. Jesus instructed him, Don't talk about this all over town. Jesus quietly just quietly present your, your healed self to the priest along with the offering ordered by Moses. Your cleansed and obedient life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. But the man couldn't keep it to himself, and the word got out. And soon, a large crowd of people had gathered to listen and to be healed of their ailments. As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to an out-of-the-way uh, out places for prayer. What a neat story we have here. And I love this story, you guys, because there's a lot behind the scenes that some of us, we just really don't pay attention to today. In fact, maybe one of the things that becomes more and more real to us today is this whole measles outbreak. We don't think we have to deal with this. And then all of a sudden, what? There's hundreds of cases worldwide, and we have them right here in Vancouver. So all of a sudden, we realize that perhaps uh, something like measles, we have to take it seriously. And also, I got to wonder at some point if something like leprosy would ever come back to haunt us. Boy, would we ever be on the bandwagon for getting immunized, wouldn't we? A leper had a rough life, you guys. So in this whole story, some beautiful things happen, what Jesus did. And even Eugene Peterson calls this section an invitation to a changed life. An invitation to a changed life. William Barclay he said it this, uh, a leprosy describes the hideous progression of the worst form of this disease. They might sometimes call this Hansen's disease, but others would say this is even more than Hansen's disease because even Luke has made it clear here that this is an advanced case of leprosy. So it's not like he might have a sore or two. This guy's in really bad shape. So Barclay goes on to say, it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers become a foul dis discharge. The eyebrows can fall off. The uh, eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. And the voice becomes hoarse and the breath wheezes. The hands and, and feet always ulcer uh, ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerative growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years, and it ends in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. Leprosy might begin with a loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve uh, endings are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons con contract until the hands are like claws. There, there follows ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes a progressive loss of fingers and toes until at the end, the whole hand or the whole foot may just drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years, as somebody else said, and it is kind of a terrible progressive death in which a man dies inch by inch. So, not to totally gross you out, but I'm just giving the picture here of desperation. 
And another scary part is because they lost all sensation, so what could happen is he might grab a pot of boiling water and not realize that it's boiling and just move it somewhere and meanwhile absolutely hurting himself and making his case even worse than it is. Leprosy ruined a person's life. If you can imagine all the things that were going on with him health-wise, that, if that isn't enough, but obviously when they found out he had leprosy, he was sent out and he was not allowed to be around the temple or around any other people. Pretty much they had to live either by themselves or with other lepers. And whenever they got close to anybody, they had to keep a fair distance to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. In fact, by the sounds of it, that if they hadn't done that, if I come too close to you guys and I have leprosy and they find out and authorities find out, then I can be beaten with 39 lashes, which would kill me. So if we can think that this is not only a physical ailment, this, you guys, is one of loneliness, being pulled away from people, being pulled away from family, being pulled away from society. And not only that, now you've got to deal with the whole mental status of the whole thing. People look at you and they're grossed out. They just run away from you. And the mental capacity of being able to realize that everybody's life goes on and you are now sentenced to a life of loneliness. It's a pretty deal, a pretty big deal. Leprosy ruined their lives. Leprosy also ruined his relationships. So no longer being able to go to the temple, no longer being able to be with the family, no longer having rich relationships that may have been there before, ruined relationships. It was an alienation. Can't imagine the suffering that would go on. And it seems to get worse and worse over time. In fact, as you look through and comb through scripture, you hardly ever see anybody healed from leprosy. I think there's like three cases and they're pretty big deal cases. And this is one of them. So leprosy really was a death sentence. And it's kind of interesting because as you look deeper at this, you got to go, is this really just about leprosy? Or is there a chance that the Lord is actually using a story that also helps us to hold up a mirror and realize that you might be a little grossed out by what Steve has just talked about when it comes to leprosy and all the things that are associated with it. But how many times have you looked in the mirror and realized that sin does the same thing to our lives? Sin, you guys, separates us from God. Sin is something that God can't even be in the presence of. It alienates us from people, from tight relationships, and from the potential that God has for each and every one of us. Sin does that. I've spoken to you not too, too long ago that even we have a classic example with King David when, when he allowed sin to uh, enter his life when he committed adultery and all that stuff. He took a, a long time to continue to dig and dig and dig that hole with sin to the point of he finally killed Uriah, the, the husband of the woman that he had adultery with. And the list goes on and on. It sounds like between 9 and 12 months that he was not writing and in relationship with God until finally God cared enough, obviously, to send a prophet his way. And he just, oh God, what have I done? And he, we have some of the most beautiful psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, that really are repentant psalms of him coming and realizing, I am full of leprosy. I'm full of leprosy of sin. 
And just like leprosy, you guys, sin gets worse over time. I'm not sure if you've had um, a case like this in your own life. You don't have to raise your hand, obviously. Uh, but has there been a chance in your life that you've experienced something that you really wanted to keep under wraps? You've been dealing with a sin. You've been dealing with uh, an addiction. You've been dealing with uh, anger, bitterness, whatever it might be. And you just want to keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. But the only thing it does is it gets worse. It gets worse. So to me, it makes a lot of sense that a lot of preachers, and as we look here, it seems as though there's almost a link here between what has happened with the leper and what happens in our life is that sin can easily ruin our lives. Sin can mess up our potential, and sin absolutely damages our relationships with others. Absolutely. And just like this leper, he was willing to do whatever it took because he believed Jesus and he believed that Jesus could heal him. Let's go back to what the scripture says there. He says, if you want to, you can cleanse me. If you want to, you can cleanse me. Or another version says, if you're willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. But it's kind of interesting because the wording seems he's much more instead of just being healed. What's really the word he's using there? You can make me clean. Isn't that interesting? So it seems as though he's gotten the whole gravity of this life of alienation of what's happened to him. And he wants to be healed. He wants to be healed. And he's got nothing to lose. I'm sure he knew the whole rule of if he gets too close to somebody. If he ran up to Jesus this close, he was breaking the rules. And now he was in danger of 39 lashes. But it was worth it. It was worth it. And he runs up to him and he proclaims something of beautiful faith that if you want to, you can heal me. And I love what Jesus says. When we go back to see what he did say, he says, I am willing. Be healed. Music to the ears, huh? Romans 3 talks of that. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6 says, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm not sure if we get that. I know I struggle with that. Really? Am I that bad of a guy? But yeah, we all have leprosy within us and all of us struggle. And when you look at one of the main definitions of sin, it is falling short of the glory of God. It is missing the mark. But we're so enamored with just making sure that we're better than that guy or that person over there. And we look pretty good. But it's not about that. He wants us and he pursues us and he wants you to make it right with your life. He doesn't, okay, stop looking at your neighbor, stop looking at your sister. I want you to deal with you. And so often we just look at our behavior. And Christianity is not about behavior modification. I'm sorry, folks. It's not about behavior modification. He wants to see inside out change. So there's times where you might walk in here and you'll see a, what, that guy goes to church? Yep. We got some messed up people that come to church. Amen, right? And it's interesting. It's interesting because what happens is the Lord brings forth a beautiful work within us that often is a progression of change over the time, over years. So we got to be patient with one another. 
if we think that, and there sometimes is instant change, for sure. But a lot of times we struggle with stuff, but yet we have seen and we've been in the light and now the Lord continues to work things out and our behavior changes as we are um, exposed more and more to the light and he cleans up our lives. But it's an inside out change. You guys, the leper recognizes desperate situation. Everybody recognizes his desperate situation. And the leper recognizes his need for help. There was no known cure for leprosy. It was a death sentence. It was a death sentence. He needed to be rescued. He was absolutely desperate. He was absolutely desperate. And I love it because he's willing to take the 39 lashes. He's, he's willing to get close to this person and realize, I believe it. You can. If you want to, you can heal me. And that's what he does. He sticks his neck out. And it does really remind me of John cha chapter 3, 16, and also in Numbers. And one of the things that happened in Numbers is when, um, when the people of Israel were judged and now snakes came out to bite them, poisonous snakes, and they were dying, what happened is the prophet fashioned a bronze serpent, remember that? And he raised it up, and what did the people have to do? Look up at the bronze serpent. Who wouldn't? And I would wish that story was longer, because I bet you there were people that died instead of look up at the bronze serpent. Because, guys, there's folks today that still are not looking up to the cross. Things are not going well. Their elevator, you'd think, how much lower can it go? And they still won't humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. Still. I like it here because he also uses the word faith. Or sorry, he uses the word Lord. He comes to him, Lord. And oftentimes, Lord is used... Um, like sir or master, but it seems as though in the context here and the wording that's used here, and even when we look back in uh, chapter 5 and chapter 4, it seems as though this guy knew what he was talking about, and he came and realized that this isn't just sir, but this is Lord and master. Lord and master, if you want to, you can heal me. Lord, if you're willing. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say that again. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for me, for you, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that he might die to the sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You ever think of that moment where Jesus reached out and touched a leper, what was supposed to happen there? By law, what was supposed to happen? Yeah, who is now in trouble? Jesus. Jesus is breaking the law. Yeah, both of them, that's right. They're both breaking the law, but now Jesus is in risk of being infected by leprosy. But this is wild because the opposite hand happens jesus the clean one touches the unclean one and he becomes clean so he's messing with nature here big big time because nature or naturally what's supposed to happen is the leper infects 
the clean person, but now the clean person has infected with cleanliness the leper. And it's interesting here because I don't know exactly what this means, but he is cured. So I don't know how far along he was. And Eugene Peterson uses the wording when he goes back to Greek, and it seems as though that he is absolutely restored. So I don't know if he was missing fingers. I have no idea if, if uh, a lot of his body was deformed by now. I don't know. But it seems as though he was healed and obviously healed. And then by the law, he had to go over to the spiritual advisor who would have been the priest. And it's only the priest that could declare him free of this disease, therefore free to go out in the community again. This is an incredible story. And Jesus says to him, I don't want you to tell anybody. I just want you to go to the priest. Like that's going to happen. He is so pumped, you guys. He's jumping up and down and he's singing praises all the way there. And I'm not sure exactly why Jesus said that. Uh, some of the reasons is as soon as he goes and tells everybody, now everybody comes. So he, he doesn't get a break and he doesn't get to just minister to people one-on-one -on -one or disciple people one-on-one. -on -one. Now it's just crowds pushing in on him, wanting just to be healed. And this guy didn't want to just be healed. He used specific wording, I want to be cleansed. I want a cleaning. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You guys, the leopard recognized his de desperate situation and he recognized his need for help or he recognized his need to be rescued. And now we see the touch of the master's hand. Nobody touched this man probably for years. Nobody. His body was ridden with disease, eating away his body. And imagine all his joy out the window. Everything about this story is a really sad situation. But like I said, when Jesus touched him, he messed with nature and instead of being unclean, now he is clean. Henry Nouwen has worked among orphanages in Peru, and um, here is what he writes. How little do we really know the power of physical touch? Boys and girls only wanted one thing, to be touched, hugged, stroked, and caressed. Probably most adults have the same needs, but no longer have the innocence and un unconsciousness or unselfconsciousness to express them. Sometimes I see humanity as a sea of people starving for affection, tenderness, care, love, acceptance, forgiveness, and gentleness. Everyone seems to cry, please love me. In fact, uh, Dave Edwards, the guy that used to preach here, he, he described one time where they finally let him go to an orphanage in Russia or, or Ukraine. Usually don't let tourists over there but he described a pretty grim situation where kiddos were, and infants, little babies, they were uh, in a diaper and they would be changed, I think it was twice a day. Yikes. And it was packed full of children. And he was overwhelmed and he went over to one crib and he, he, he picked up a kiddo and he looked into these blank eyes because they weren't really touched by people. They... Like somebody would come and change them and feed them and hit the road because there's so many kiddos. Well, he would play with one 
And I don't know how many he gave, how many minutes, but he said after a while, those blank eyes would all of a sudden realize, oh, this feels good. And the kiddo would finally lock eyes with Dave, and then there's some cooing and cawing and all that stuff, what babies are supposed to do. Well, he put that baby down, but now that baby started to complain and started to cry. So then he'd have one hand here, and then he'd try and scoop up another baby. And, and the same thing would happen, this blank look all of a sudden would clue in, like, wow, I'm being touched. And now he wished he was an octopus. He didn't say that, but so I'm like, like, because all these kids start crying because now they have felt touch and they want more. And I wonder how far off Nowen was because you know what happens as, as we get older, we're too mature to be touched. And then we get in the hospital and we all know there's all sorts of funky stuff at the hospital, so we don't want to touch anything, Right? But you know, you guys, one of the most beautiful things is human touch, appropriate human touch. And we need it. If my wifey was up here too, she would say something like even uh, psychologically when somebody embraces you, like you could be angry and stuff, but when you get a 30-second hug, all the things that just calm down within you. And yet, we don't touch all that much anymore, do we? Please don't. Come run up here and all hug me at once, please. <laughs> you need a hug. Nope, I'm good. <laughs> Jesus told him, uh, keep quiet. Why did Jesus command him to not tell anybody, somebody says? Perhaps for two reasons. The man was to go immediately to the priest to be a testimony. I like that because Jesus is still working, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he's still working within the culture at this point. He's still working within the law. And I think that's important because sometimes, and you'll hear it out, there's some popular preachers these days say we're only New Covenant uh, uh, Christians so that we only have to look at the New Testament. I, I don't agree with that. I think the Old Testament there is for a reason and we need to be uh, biblical folks and that we realize that what Jesus has done is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is really very, very important to us too. So, you know, Make sure that doesn't happen to you. It's very important. And here we see that he says, maybe it was so that he had to go immediately to the priest to give testimony. And then when the news of Jesus' healing power spread, he was constantly besieged by people, which caused him to withdraw. But I like this because it's interesting when he says he withdrew. And you might go like, Jesus, how insensitive is that? All these people need healing. They all need your touch. But it's interesting that Jesus, over and over again, you'll see in, in, the, in the Gospels, is that he goes by himself. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. One author points out the Greek word, pairing, uh, translating withdraw, uses the imperfect tense, which suggests that this was a continued action or an established habit. So the Greek word is to go back, to retreat, to withdraw. It's a peaceful sense, to retire. But I like what this guy said. It's an imperfect tense which suggests a continued action or an established habit. Are you in the habit of meditating on the word of God? I've been a pastor long enough that when I used to say meditate, people would, Ooh, you know, because they all think that we're doing some funky new age stuff now. Wait a second. 
We're talking about meditating on the word of God, meditating on Jesus Christ. So not emptying your mind, filling it. Filling it with Jesus Christ. Filling it for the thoughts. Because every day you're pretty good at meditating. You meditate on all sorts of junk. Right? We are constantly... I had a good chat with a, a, a young man not too long ago. I just said, what are the things that you catch yourself saying to yourself? He's pretty much meditating on it because he's listening to himself all the time and it's always negative. But what does the Lord want to say to you? And teenagers, it's the same for you. How many times do you actually pull away and turn off the uh, whatever device there is and zip it or go for a walk and try and think, Jesus, what do you have for me? And sometimes you can go to one verse, a short verse, and just think about that verse over and over again. Think about that verse. And I love it because oftentimes within that verse, the Lord will give you something. And all of a sudden, wow, I've never seen that before. But we're not that good at withdrawing and letting the Lord speak to us in a certain situation. And that's one of the postures that we want to have here at our worship evening. When we come together for worship and prayer, it's not fancy, but we want to have a posture of listening to the Lord, being guided by His Spirit, and moving into what He has for us. And that, you guys, seems to be the role of a disciple. Remember, a big part of our study in Luke, as Christians, we're disciples that need to continue to grow. Last week we said that we grow and we obey what we know and what we will know. You step out in obedience to it all, right? A disciple is also listening. A disciple is constantly growing. And a disciple is also looking for others to disciple. Spending time with Christ. So I'll leave you with this. Again, we see it here in this story. We see the leper realize who Jesus is and realize who he is and just says, I need Jesus. I need nothing else. I need Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can cleanse me. So we see a trust in Jesus Christ. And then we see, number two, an overwhelming desire for him to share what Jesus has done for him. And then, please don't miss this, we see community. He's first of all sent to the priest who's at the temple. And not only that, when he's healed, he is sent back into community. Reaching out with a touch and the leper being in, reintroduced back to society. That's also the call of a disciple. To respond to Jesus Christ. To listen and to obey. And now to walk with others. And disciple each other in this walk that we have in Jesus Christ. I think we've got a lot to learn here from the leper. And let's be honest, one of the things that he has over us is an obvious disease. An obvious something's wrong with this guy. And some of us have gotten really good at hiding our leprosy. But the way to healing, the way to cleansing, the way of discipleship, is opening yourself up to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I just ask that you'd help each and every one of us to do this. This is really difficult for us. We are so good 
at acting here in America, in Canada, Lord. And who wants to look like we don't have it all together? But Heavenly Father, this morning we want to thank you once again for who you are and who you make us. We just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that, Heavenly Father, we would continue to taste and see that you were good, that we would continue, Lord Jesus, to grow in our relationship with you. Father, help us to listen, help us to obey, and help us to move forward and, and meet other people and help disciple them too. Thank you, Lord, for reaching out and touching the leper. And today, this morning, we want to thank you for reaching out and touching us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll leave you a blessing from Ephesians. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ has loved us, and give himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a fragrant sacrifice unto God. So go be a sacrifice and a fragrant offering to the world in Jesus' name. Amen.